Well, good morning. It's so good to see you. Welcome to Relevant Faith Church this morning. My name is Mike Wilmer. I'm the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith, and we're so excited that you have joined us for worship. I am going to jump into the third part of this message series that we have been preaching, and the message series is simply titled Giants. Um, We chose this because it is summer, and you're able to come in, get, get the message, and not feel like you've missed anything in a series, which oftentimes can happen. If you missed a message, you can go online and listen to it at rfcpoa.com. Click on listen link. Um, However, I do apologize. Last week's message did not make it online, and so we had some technical difficulty, but we will have this week's message online. And so we've been preaching this concept of giants. We are taking it from a book written by John Maxwell called Running with the Giants, And the idea is, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Later on, and in other places, that cloud of witnesses is defined as the giants of faith who have gone before us. We started out in week one and talked about Rebecca, and yes, it was Rebecca and the camels. My apology for an on-the-spot brain fart. That's what I had. But the reality is is we talked about Rebecca and the importance of of her walk and her faith in God and how it has reverberated through history and even is relevant for today. Then last week, we talked about Abraham and the power of his his obedience to God and the decision-making that he, he met and how we understand that God's always doing the right thing, even if it's not what we believe or think or have experienced or seen happen. And so this week, we're actually going to tar- start talking about this gentleman ma- named Noah. And so the idea is, what would the, first of all, we're going to talk about the, the passion of this, of this man and who he was and what he accomplished for God. And then as we make it relevant for our lives today, it, the idea is, what would Noah say to us if he stepped out of heaven and ran one of these laps of life with us? How would he encourage us? So that's what we're going to get to today. And so... The first thought that I want to share with you, and this isn't in your notes just yet, we're not quite there yet, but this idea of Noah comes with the thought process of don't miss the boat. Ever heard that phrase, oh, I missed, you missed the boat on this one? You know, it's like I missed the opportunity. This, when it comes to Noah and his history, that's not a boat you wanted to miss because that meant that you were stuck in a place where you would have died, you know, and so... Here's what happens, and I love this analogy. This comes right from the book. John Maxwell is such a smart man and such a great writer. He wrote, he says, the woodpeckers on the inside can be worse sometimes than the storm on the outside. You know, there's some animals that God let perish. There are people that God let perish in this flood where he gave Noah this this job and this responsibility to build an ark when there had never even rained before. And so I'm certain that at some point in time in the, in the journey of this ark, once the animals and people got on, that the woodpecker was pecking at the wood. And how many know, anybody, anybody have experience with a woodpecker pecking at a tree outside and it's driving you nuts and you just want to shoot it or something, right? It's, it's that thought process that, oh my gosh, if you'll just shut up for five minutes, it's driving me crazy. And so... So this idea of, of, of what, what can happen inside 
can be worse than the actual storm that is outside. And so that's kind of where we're going to go with this. And, and this understanding, and the title of my thoughts this morning is that one person can make a difference. And Noah was one person who made a difference. And I think that's important because a lot of people think, oh, I'm just one person. What difference can I really make? And then they say things like, oh, well, I'm no Noah or Abraham or Rebecca. But understand, the people that God used to do these amazing things were just regular people. I mean, we think of Noah and say, man, this guy had some ridiculous faith to build an ark when it had never rained. I'm going to build a gigantic boat when there is no water around it's never rained. I mean, for real, that's just like foolishness, right? But we, and so we think, oh man, I just don't have that kind of faith. But understand that God chose Noah. And, and, and if you remember another part of Noah's story, that the not so cool part of Noah's story, he was passed out drunk in his tent. Passed out drunk in, in sin, failed just like anybody else as a human would do. He was passed out drunk, naked in his tent. So... Anybody willing to answer the question can answer it. It can be rhetorical for some of us, and I will answer the question. Have you ever really honestly passed out drunk naked? In all my sin, I've not done that. I've passed out drunk, just not naked. And Noah and this man in Scripture passed out drunk naked. As a matter of fact, one of his sons was pointing at him and laughing like, look at them. He's drunk fool, laying there naked. And his other son was like, no, let's cover him. And so, understand, I shared that because we have this thought process, well, I'm not like this. I don't have that faith. I don't have that, that, that belief, that understanding. Well, neither did these people when God called them. Neither did these people when God chose them. I, I shared this many times. Matter of fact, we launched Relevant Faith Church almost six years ago with a series called, What on Earth Am I Here For? And it was all about why did God create us and put us on this earth and the thought process I shared then, I still believe today, is that God doesn't choose people who are qualified. He qualifies people who are chosen. Nobody on earth would have chosen me to pastor a church, I promise you. If you were a fly on the wall of my life from beginning even till today, you would not choose me to pastor a church. And that's okay because I'm not worried about who chooses me to pastor because God chose me and called me to do this. And so he's giving me what I need to accomplish this. So when I talk about one person can make a difference, understand that God has called you, he has given you a purpose, and you can make a difference. So let's move on through this message here. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5. The Bible says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth, it broke his heart. And in verse 7, and the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground. Some of us would like, would, would like to have had many of them still have been destroyed because we got issues with spiders and snakes and other things that freak us out. Those aren't two things that freak me out, but I know many people do. Small animals that sort of scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. That's God. That's a challenging thought process. And then in verse 8, he says, But Noah found favor with the Lord. Here's the reality to life. If it weren't for Noah, to Noah, we would not be here today. 
All of humanity would have been wiped out. Nothing would have existed. But Noah found favor with the Lord. Yes, this drunk, naked man found favor with the Lord. How, uh, you got to understand, I mean, I know I'm going to hit this and probably beat it into the ground. But it's not about what you do. It's about how your heart is connected to God. David was considered a man after God's own heart. We read that and we, oh, I'll dance like David danced. Okay, how about you murder like David murdered and you adulterer like David adulterer as well. We forget these parts of these people and realize they're humans who fall and make mistakes, but yet they made such an epic difference in the world we live in today. So you can make a difference. So I'm going to give you a few things for your notes. If you want to take notes with us, that's fantastic. The very first one I'm going to give you is you can make a difference for your family. Now, because of Noah's righteousness, it affected everyone else, including his family. Noah finding favor with God was a blessing specifically for his family. I promise you their thought process probably wasn't who is Mike going to stand in a pulpit of a church one day and preach when the whole world was being wiped out back then and Noah was found favor. He was just concerned with his family. He's like, I, I, I want my family to be able to survive this. And so because of his favor with God, it had a difference for his family. Matter of fact, Acts chapter 6, verse 16, 31 says, Believe in the Lord, Jesus, and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. So your confession of faith, your remembering where you came from, repenting of your sin, and resetting your life on the cross and on the path that he called you can actually cause your whole family, your whole household to be saved. Now, we look at some of our households and say, oh, I don't know that that's necessarily true because mine is a train wreck. Matter of fact, some folks look at their homes and say mine is a slow motion train wreck. One of those things that you're like watching frame by frame but cannot possibly react to change and fix. Yes, even that household. The question just sometimes is how are we leading our household that is it, is it really putting Christ first. Because when he says he wants to be first, it's not just in the things that you want him to be first in. It is in literally everything. You want to see your family prosper financially? Be the one that models it for them. You want to, be the one, you want to see your family prosper in healthy relationships? Let your husband and your spousal relationship, or even the relationship you have with parents, your, your parents and your siblings, let that be a model of how relationships should be. Because you're teaching them. You're teaching them with more, more of what you do than what you ever say. So they're watching. I know they're watching because the things that I, they see in me and call, my kids call me out on things. And when they do, it's like my, my righteousness wants to get angry and say, no, 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 you just shut up and do as I say. But the reality is like, man, they just saw me do that. Oh, they just heard me say that. Because now I'm thinking, how is that going to affect them as they grow? So your righteousness, your following after Christ can make a difference for your family. Number two, you can actually make a difference for future generations. Not just your household, but future generations. A wonderful, I, I, I have a wonderful life. I do. I have an amazing life. I love Every aspect and every bit of my life. No, it's not perfect. 
I, I flaw it up real well. But I love everything about my life. And can I tell you, two people made that difference in my initial path, first being my wife, when I met this irresistible woman in a place you shouldn't be meeting your women and men, and, and God put me in her life, put her in my life, that led, then led me to this place called church, which I had never gone to. Then her job was done, although she's still trying to do the job. Her job was then done, and then the job my pastor would then have. His name was Michael McDermott, and he is an amazing man who he then made such a difference in my life that it literally put me on the path that I'm on today. My children are blessed because of the impact that man had in my life. You see, so one person can make a difference for future generations. So my hope is that my choices, my decisions are impacting my household, which they are, and then on top of that will impact my children's households and my children's children's households should the Lord tarry that long. We can make a difference for future generations. Acts chapter 13 verse 36 says this, so after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died. What does that mean? That means his job was done. We have a job to do, and when our job is over, we will pass away. But look at David's life. Look at what happened with the rest of his life. The lineage of Christ would become from him because he was found to be a man after God's own heart. Even though he would fail and he would sin and he would fall and he would make all kinds of ungodly choices, he was considered a man after God's, only heart, God's own heart, which would ultimately impact every generation. And his, gen, his obedience and his following after God impacts your salvation, your eternity. One person can make a difference for future generations. Number three, you can make a difference for God. You can make a difference for God. We're talking about Noah and the difference this man made. If you look at his, his, his entire story, he made a difference for his family by being found in the favor of God he made a difference for future generations. Because of his favor with God, we have life today. And then three, and then he made a difference for God. God is looking for someone to use. Someone who is willing to say, here I am, Lord. I, send me. You know, the Bible, the Bible asks that question. It says, well, how will people know unless they hear? And how will they hear unless someone preaches? And how will someone preach unless they are sent? And then who will go? And then we hear, here I am, Lord, send me. That's what God's looking for. God's looking for the one that will say, here I am, Lord, send me. That doesn't mean he's going to send you to the hills of Africa or to Europe or to anywhere else. He could just literally send you to your job to make a difference in someone else's life. Send you to your family whom you really don't want to talk to or talk about to make a difference. You can make a difference for God. I love the message that Carol Post preached before she left, before they left on their, on their mission field. It was, matter of fact, it was the message that catapulted them out. And it was like, there is somebody on the other side of your obedience. There's somebody waiting for your obedience. There's a soul waiting for your obedience. For you to step out and be who God's called you to be. 
Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, the Bible says, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. God is searching. He is searching for someone to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Number four, you can make a difference, a difference at any age. At any age. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how physically impaired we might be because of age or because of size. None of that matters. God's measure of qualification, like I said, is so much different than ours. When I ventured into this ministry thing, you know what the first question I was asked? The very first question I was asked, where did you go to Bible college? And you know what I told them? Didn't. And immediately people were like, wow, you got nothing to say to me. And I'm like, wow, does that mean that they negate two-thirds of the entire New Testament because it was written by a man named Paul whose Bible college adventure was three days of blindness? I just ask, I ask questions. Sometimes they rub people the wrong way. But that's, I mean, we put these qualifications on people. Or we walk into a church like this and we see people sipping coffee or the pastor up there with his Starbucks and wearing his big pointy shoes and, and his crazy socks and think, that guy's got nothing to say to me. Or if you come here on opening day of Major League Baseball and I'm rocking a Baltimore Orioles jersey and cap, oh no, he's preaching in a hat. He got nothing for me. We put these qualifications on people based on our own biases and what we think is okay and what we think is right. I got news for all of us, and I'm one of them that I'm preaching to right now. You're going to find out one day just how wrong you really are about so many things. I'm with you. I'm in the same boat. I'm going to find out how wrong I am about so many things. But we put these qualifications on people. Age is one of them. We look at young people and say, you're 15. You can't accomplish anything great. We diminish Young people. And let me just tell you, I use that one specifically right now because I, I, we're in the middle of a historic thing taking place in our nation in the athletic world. And maybe most of us don't know, maybe some of us do, but just as recently as the Wimbledon tennis tournament that takes place in England has found a 15-year-old girl shocking the world. First beat a woman who is nationally, who is ranked in the world in tennis Twice her age, beat her on the tennis court. 15 years old. And then she would face her hero, her idol, the one who empowered her to become a tennis player. Because after all, she was, a, she was an African-American female. Something that's not been empowered in our world for too long, and it should be. And she looked at Venus Williams as say, suggesting, this is... This is my idol. She's inspired me to be able to play tennis. And yesterday she beat her in the biggest, on the biggest stage of all the tennis world. A 15-year-old girl. And that's just one story. If you want to take it, okay, that's fine. That's great. Let's take it back to the Bible. You know how many kings were under the age of 10 when they were anointed king? 
Do you know how many leaders are teenagers? As a matter of fact, I don't want to bust everybody's bubble, but Jesus was probably first a youth pastor before he was anything else. I say that because if you study his, his following, if you study his disciples, most of them weren't even old enough to pay taxes. Only a few of them were. He was a youth pastor first. So let's, let's, let's track this. The 12 men who followed Christ that we look at as these giants of faith, most of them were probably teenagers whom you wouldn't associate anything special with. Probably because of their age and where they've come from. We put all these qualifiers, age, race, where they come from, how they were raised, all these things we put on people to suggest whether or not they can accomplish anything. We are so, when we do that, let me just help you understand something. We disqualify ourselves. God doesn't disqualify us. We disqualify ourselves based on how we put, how we categorize people. First Timothy chapter four, verse 12, getting to the age part, said, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and your purity. This is, this is scripture. You can be any age and make a difference. So what does all this have to do with me and, our, and my life and how I live out my faith? Let's make it practical for a few minutes if we can. So this is the part where I talked about what would Noah say? If Noah stepped out of that great cloud of witnesses and ran a lap of life with us, what would he say to us? How would he encourage us? This is the part where you can actually take this and apply it to your life. And my hope is that you do because this is what's going to make a difference. This is how you can be the one that makes a difference. Now, there's so many stories of one person making a difference. And before I get to this, practical part because it fits right in the first point of making it practical. There's two stories that come up real quickly is David and Goliath. How David slew Goliath, killed this giant, cut my man's head off, and it ended the war of the Israelites and the Philistines. And Hollywood would echo a similar situation in the movie Troy where Achilles was considered the greatest warrior. And two kings met armies ready to do battle and said, you know, let's settle this in the old way. Our, my best against your best. And so out steps this ginormous human being, like all HGH and steroided up man. Huge. They had to go get Achilles, and Achilles shows up, and Achilles is played by the actor Brad Pitt, and He's kind of a mouse of a man. He's small. And here he walks up, gets off his, sword, off his horse, doesn't say a word. It's one of the best scenes in any movie in the history of movies, in my personal opinion. Doesn't say a word. Just starts walking towards this giant. And he's rowling up his army, and here comes Achilles. He's walking. The guy pulls his spear out and launches it what seems to be like 100 miles an hour. Achilles dodges the first one. Second one blocks with his shield. Swings his shield behind him. Runs, jumps, puts his sword right through his neck into his heart. And then walks away and just stands and looks at the army all by himself. <laughs> one person made a difference that day. We have to believe that we have the army of heaven 
at our back the moment we step out in faith to do something for God. Because that's what, the, that's what that scripture means, a cloud of witnesses. So what would Noah say? Here's what I believe Noah would say. I'd, I believe Noah first would tell you, don't be afraid to stand out in a crowd. This is our challenge. We don't want to stand out. We want to blend in. And here's the craziest thing with that. We don't want to stand out. We want to blend in. Matter of fact, almost 90% of all personalities made up in the world are people who are more introverted than they are extroverted. Here's why it looks even, because extroverts are so loud and talk so much that we forget that anybody else is even there. It's what we do. But more, more of the population are the reserved, laid back, quieter, prefer two or three people versus two or three hundred people. That's what the bulk of population, yet we have to figure out how to stand out in a crowd. You know, to make a difference, you're going to have to be different. There's some young people sitting here today, and I would say to you, don't just go with the flow. Buck the trends of the rest of your generation. The young generation is challenged, to say the least. I think they're amazing. I think they have the ability to do some unbelievable things. But they also face some great challenges. And so to stand out in the crowd, you'd buck the, gen- the trends of the, just- of the rest of your generation. Or maybe that implies you'd buck the trends of the people that you work with. My conversation with my son who's playing in a basketball tournament this afternoon in St. Louis when I left him yesterday was, don't do what everyone else does. Make good decisions, make good choices, be different. That's my encouragement all the time. In fact, to be the one I believe that God raises up to set a standard of righteousness, it's going to be done within the people that you walk with. Look at my time. So brief story. When I met my wife, I was playing softball six nights a week. It was my idol. I didn't know what an idol was back then, but now that I know what it is, it was definitely my idol. I got paid to play softball. I loved it. It was amazing. And I quickly went from playing six nights of absolute competitive softball to playing one day a week in a church league. Challenge, no doubt, for me. God taught me a whole lot. But there was a particular team that I played with. Everyone on the team was like phenomenal athletes, played high level of baseball somewhere. And my name on that team, my nickname in the scorebook, because no one had their regular names, was Tex. And it was all based on an incident that took place in my life while I was in Texas. And I will share, spare the details, because it paints me in a very, very bad light. Not because, I, I won't share them because of that, because I already shared enough of that. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a non-God moment in my life. I quit playing baseball, softball on that team. Fast forward several years now, walking with Christ, I'm a disciple, we used, to, we used to get, after the games, we'd go to the parking lot and just pound beers together. That's what we did. Fast forward several years, give my life to Christ, serving God, becoming a disciple, becoming a pastor, following the plan that God has for my life. I finally go back to that team. My nickname in that book then was called Preacher. I started to stand out in the crowd. 
from that standing out, God opened so many doors to share my faith and share the gospel with these men who I would drink. And we'd be standing in the parking lot drinking. They'd be drinking beers, and they would always have a Coke for me. And I would just be talking about God and what God's done in my life. And we actually, actually got the opportunity to lead a couple of them to Christ in that, in that moment just from standing out and being different. So God is going, has a standard of righteousness. And, and, for, and, and when you're called and chosen by him, which you are, it's going to first be in with the ones you walk with. When they're doing things you know to displease God at a party, how do you engage? When you're in a movie theater and it's more vulgar than you thought, what is your response? Most folks today are just like, yeah, I'm going to watch it. I've literally walked out of a movie because of its content. A movie I paid for. I got up and walked out. No, thank you. These are things that we do, not because it's rules and regulations, but because my relationship with Christ is at the forefront of it. How do you respond when your friends tell a dirty joke? How about when someone calls to gossip about someone else? Or when you get pressure to fudge some kind of numbers at work to look better? How do we respond? These are all Integrity issues, character issues. Matter of fact, the word says, when, when God, Peter, said, Peter wrote it, and he says, Behold, God said, be holy because I am, po- I am holy. That word holy, you know what it means? Stand out in the crowd. Set apart. You're different. John chapter 12, verse 42, the Bible says, Many people did believe in him. Did believe in him. However, including some of the Jewish leaders, they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. So fear of being expelled kept them from being public about their faith. You know, there's a church movement going on in the Middle East in Iran that's causing Christians to be murdered on a regular basis. They're not quiet about it. They're walking out their faith with the understanding that if they're caught, they die. So don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd. The last one I'm going to share with you is this. Don't be afraid to do something for the first time. Don't be afraid to do something for the first time. God's given you a message. If you're a part of Relevant Faith Church, let me just, if you're a part of Relevant Faith Church and God has given you a message to preach, you come and we sit down, we talk, and you preach it at some point. I'm not going to say, okay, here's the mic, preach it now, because I don't want to set you up for failure. But you know how many people have preached their very first messages from this pulpit? Their very first messages in church from this pulpit? Many, many, many have. So don't be afraid to do something for the very first time. Everything that God calls us to do requires faith, whether it's public speaking like I just said or sharing your faith on the, in, the, in, your, in the marketplace in your job or on the sports team that you, that you sit and watch your kids play in or whatever the case may be. Everything that God calls us to do requires faith. Matter of fact, in the same book, Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 7, this is what it says about Noah. We bring this thing full circle right back to Noah. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. I mean, think, let's just think about that and, and, and try to 
wrap our minds around that thought process for a second, that Noah was called to do something, to build a boat because it was going to rain. It had never rained. There was no body of water anywhere. Go build a boat. It's the same question someone shared, shared with me my very first day ever in church. God's called you to a pulpit. No, my, answer, my question was, what's a pulpit? Noah's question was, what's a boat? You know, these are things that, that, that you just, it just takes stepping out of faith. And then it goes on to say, by faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. And then God told him, whenever you see the rainbow, it's a, it's a remembering of what God has done. But people look at it and say, oh, I remember that God killed the world. I see the rainbow. When I see the rainbow, I remember that one person can make a difference. One person. Devin, you can come and get yourself set. So the question I ask of you is, has God been speaking to you? Has he been giving you signs? Have you been thinking things that you've not shared with anyone? See, to everyone else in this world, the rainbow is a natural occurrence. Happens when the sun and the rain and it meets and there's this whole scientific explanation and I'm like, yeah, God put it there. It's good enough for me, and it's there so that I can remember that one person can make a difference. I think, personally, it's a divine reminder that God is with me, and I can make a difference. And maybe that's too deep for some of us to think through. But it's interesting to me when I'm driving down the road, and I look in front of me, and I see a rainbow. Oftentimes, it happens in those moments when I'm quiet, I'm kind of challenged in my belief of self or my belief of my call or whatever the case may be. And then I'm reminded, man, I can really make a difference. God wants me to make a difference. I'll end with this. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 20, just sharing a portion of the passage. This was the final encouragement of Jesus to his disciples. He said, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You have to understand and believe that you can make a difference for your family, that you can make a difference for future generations, that you can make a difference for God. And that doesn't make a difference where you've come from, your age, your race, or anything else. You can make a difference. It just requires you to stand out in the crowd and not be afraid to try. If I'm even close to decent at preaching the gospel, it's because I failed a whole bunch of times. If I'm even a halfway decent pastor, it's because I fail a bunch of times and I continue to fail. You know, I've pulled a lot on Hollywood today and Hollywood has done well to teach some pretty good lessons to people. 
when I think about this idea of failing, like not trying and failing, I think two movies come to mind. First one being Rocky. This emotionally charged moment with his son when he says, life will beat you down and it'll keep you down if you let it. Success is not about how good it looks, but how hard you can get punched, how many times you can get knocked down and keep getting up and fighting. That's a powerful statement because life will beat you down. And the second one comes from a little bit more lighter, lighthearted movie. And I'm forgetting the title of the movie. No, I'm not. It's Meet the Robinsons. Great movie. When he says, keep moving forward. Success comes when you failed and kept moving forward. So that's the encouragement today from Noah. Know you can make a difference. Yes, it requires you to stand out in the crowd and be different. Jesus did not die for cultural and political correctness. He died to save souls. He stood out in a crowd so that you and I would have the opportunity.